and welcome to Ipsy Dixit. We are hosts, Nathan Romero, Associate Professor of Law at Northern Illinois University College of Law. And Brian L. Fry, Spiris Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. Our guests today are Rebecca M. Bratsby's, Professor of Law at the City University of New York School of Law and Founding Director of the Center for Urban Environmental Reform, and Charlie LaGreca Velasco, an artist and founder of Comic Book Classroom, as well as the founder and producer of the Denver Independent Comic and Art Expo. Today we're going to be discussing their comic books on different legal themes, including environmental justice and the census. So thank you and, you know, welcome. We're so happy to have you. Awesome. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we're very glad to be here. So before we start getting into talking about, you know, a few, a few of your prior works together, I'd love to hear a bit more about your individual backgrounds, how you guys got to working together, and um, mm -hmm. how you started collaborating. Well, I'm a law professor at CUNY School of Law, and my main interest is environmental law. And in particular, uh, my work focuses on environmental justice, on um, the communities that are most vulnerable and least protected by our environmental laws. I have a science background. I thought I wanted to be a research scientist, but then I realized that what interested me were the social implications of science, in particular, how scientific information gets translated or not into the communities that most need access to the work. And that's how I wound up in law school and then being a law professor. And um, I look at my partnership with Charlie as a way to take information out of the rarefied world of the academy and bring it into the real world where people actually live and are working to make change. So I uh, think this is a vital part of my scholarship and one of the advantages of being at the City University of New York is that I have a tremendous amount of support from my, from my colleagues to do work that at another stuffier school might not be viewed as a legitimate scholarly mm -hmm. enterprise. <laughs> okay. Well, Rebecca, it's my understanding that these projects are affiliated or produced by the Center for Urban Environmental Reform. Could you talk a little bit about what this center does so that listeners can understand better how the comic books fit into, fit into its project? Sure. So the Center for Urban Environmental Reform is a uh, social justice project at CUNY School of Law. So at CUNY, we're a public interest law school. Our motto is law in the service of human needs. And everything we do at the school is directed at fulfilling that motto. We have a dual statutory mission. Uh, the mission is to produce lawyers who will work in the public's interest and to diversify the profession by uh, providing access to historically underrepresented groups. So those two missions, I think, are perfectly represented in environmental justice. Um, so the center does a number of things. First, we do a work internal in the law school where we bring in speakers and we try to make sure that all of the students in the law school, as they are learning to be social justice lawyers, know about environmental justice and its importance as an issue of social justice. And then externally facing, we work with community groups that are trying to organize around issues that are of importance to them. Um, community groups will just contact us and ask us to come work with them. Um, and we work with school groups. Uh, in particular, I, I partner a lot with a group called Global Kids, which is a youth 
leadership advocacy organization. So that's where the comic books come in, either with community groups or with student groups, will use the comic books to help students understand sort of what, what is environmental justice, how it differs from environmental protection per se, and how they can claim their power and work uh, to, to make change in their own communities around the issues that they have identified as important to them. So the first book walks students, walks the reader through how to participate at a public hearing and how to organize so that the information you're presenting is data rather than anecdote. And then the second book walks students through how they might potentially intervene in a licensing and how they can um, access funding to help them make the case in terms of um, citing or relicensing plants in their community. So Charlie, yeah. I'd like to hear a bit more about the work of Comic Book Classroom as well and how that factors into some of the projects that you worked on um, with Professor. Yeah, I, well with uh, Rebecca, the, the cool thing is we were, we were connected through a, a very dear mutual friend, her husband. <laughs> 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 and I'm, I was a cartoonist in New York City um, for 20 years. I worked for DC Comics and I had been doing work for then springboarded into Nickelodeon and Disney. And through that, Rebecca had, we'd come to know each other and she'd see my work and kind of tumbled around the idea of doing something, always, always kind of in the background. And then lo and behold, in about 2011, I think it was, maybe 2010, kind of I think it was a little later. Yeah, a little later, maybe 2011, 2012, it became like a reality of like, hey, we really can do this. Let's really do this. And um, so the idea of taking comics into the classroom, right? And, um, and that they can be for all ages and they can be much more. Um, and that's why I love CUNY, quite honestly, and Cure and things like this, because they were willing to take a chance on something like this. And initially, it was just this little 18-page comic. And, and I put, we put so much work into that. Um, you know, I took it really seriously when Rebecca gave it to me. And, and the concept of how we wanted this to be found and how it would look in the classroom, you know? Did we want it to be more like a, a public, you know, service announcement kind of comic like so many are, or, or just games and puzzles, or did we want it to be more like uh, Captain Planet? And my love of film, like things like, uh, I think of movies that are very pivotal with social justice and things like that, like Norma Ray, Aaron Brockovich, um, Milagro Beanfield War, which is my favorite. Um, things like that that really like affected me as an artist and then getting to collaborate with Rebecca and being honest together and, you know, her giving me all kinds of law books and then us taking that and cultivating that, putting it in a pot, stirring it around and creating what we wanted to create um, and being supported to do that, you know? I just want to interject here because Maya's Great. Lot, one thing that's important to know is that the Maya's Lot comic book started with a pun. Uh, the villain is called mm -hmm. Lulu. Mm -hmm. which is an acronym in environmental law for a locally undesirable land use. <laughs> so we started with Lulu as our villain and then built yep. the story from there. Mm. Yeah. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the story of Maya's Law and sort of how sure. it developed over time. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll go first, Rebecca, and then I'll let mm -hmm. you take it over. It was, from a creative standpoint and being a cartoonist, it was really neat because I had to delve into a realm I never even knew existed, which was environmental justice. And Rebecca was so amazing as a collaborator and as my editor to give me the uh, materials that I needed to look at, to read, 
the vocabulary. I ended up reading uh, Robert Ballard, who is the, the father. I don't know if you guys call him the godfather, the father, the grandfather of, <laughs> he's the guy of environmental justice. And uh, I got to read his book from the ground up. I remember another one that she sent me that also taught me about environmental racism, just opened my whole world up. And that gave me the skeleton, if you will, and learning about environmental justice and the struggles in the 60s and 70s and, and all of that. And Robert Bullard's Bullard story and, and so many of the urban stories that then we had a skeleton to kind of say, okay, now we're both living in Queens, New York. And now I'll send it over to Rebecca. How do we want this story to look, you know? Yeah, so uh, Mai's Lot tells a story of a young girl who organizes her community to resist the sighting of yet another Lulu, locally undesirable land use, in an already overburdened community. And it is, uh, and she succeeds, and the message that we're giving to the young people who read it and to the community groups that read it is that you can make a difference. You can mm -hmm. um, achieve environmental justice. And we also, I, one thing I should add about Maya's lot is that in the making of it, it was a collaboration not just between Charlie and me, but also a collaboration with a local middle school here in Queens. Oh yeah, it was. So we gave it to the kids and they had some very definite opinions that dramatically changed the way the book worked. Uh, it was very important to us that the main character be a young girl. First of all, because uh, women are underrepresented and girls are underrepresented in comics. Mm -hmm. And because the environmental justice movement is really a, a movement of women, a movement of, not entirely, but so much of the backbone of the work is done by women, particularly black women. So we really wanted to make sure that our main character, who was focused, who was the focus of the action, was a black young woman. And then we gave her uh, a mentor uh, who was an older black man who was a community organizer. And our first drawings were <laughs> clearly wrong, according to the kids. So he, yeah. uh, he, my, he changed from sort of a regular guy looking old guy to a movie star-ish kind of character. <laughs> Much more um, I think, what was it? Yeah, well, we, we actually looked at pictures of some pretty famous black movie stars, male movie stars, to, to get some inspiration of how to make him look sort of that, that right line of uh, charismatic, handsome, intellectual. Yeah, kind of hippie. You're not hippie, that's yeah. not the right word, but kind of earthy dude at the same time. Urban hippie, you know, yeah. guy. I was going to say... And the other, this character troop, he goes from like this kind of old guy to like, yeah. he, he turns kind of hot for lack of a better way of putting it. And I was like, wow, okay. That's interesting that the students sort of scared of this. Like, That's a guy that I, I want to relate to. That was well, all from the students. <laughs> well, and also the other funny thing, Rebecca, I don't know if you remember this was we let them read a kind of precursor of the comic that we had printed out and just showed him. And one of the kids remarks was like, it needs more guns or something like that. Remember that? And we were like, yes. So we, we added this page where literally Maya is dreaming in class and she pulls out this big gun and she has a, an outfit and a costume on, you know, it's really exciting. And yeah, it's kind of a, a you know, a daydream moment and a fantasy, 
Um, and then you're snapped back into the story, but it really does kind of help the story because it gets exciting for a quick moment because we're teaching them so much, right? It's kind of a real story and then it pulls you out for a minute and then you get to go back in. Mm -hmm. And um, that taught us a lot also for the second issue to how to add a little more dynamism, dynamism, dynamicanism. <laughs> Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm to add more dynamics, you know, to a story that would make it a little more exciting. So the next one is a little more, a little more energetic in that way. Mm. Um, well, a little I, more fictional. In that way. It was really funny because I, I could tell where the, the students had sort of um, made those suggestions in the storyline because I think Maya, when she's daydreaming about, I think she becomes Earth Girl, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's got, yeah, like, yeah. Laser guns and a cool <laughs> outfit. Um, but you know, th this was a daydream that was interrupting her boring class where she was learning stuff. Right. Exactly. And I'm like, okay, this is directly from their experience <laughs> where they feel that the story needed some jazzing up here. Yeah, yeah, and it's good to hear from them and let them feel empowered to tell us and to hear from them, like what's resonating, what do they like, what don't they like, you know? Well, Charlie, I was wondering, were there were there models you were using when you were thinking about the look? of the comic book because um, the panels had a really cool dynamic quality to them and the story oh, thanks. right and i was wondering if there were like particular other artists or other books that you were kind of thinking of when you were putting this piece together oh man um you know i was really trying to bring the neighborhood of queens for me really walking the streets a lot looking at people um you know so maya was kind of based on these hip young teenager you know girls who were kind of kicking pros and things like that in queens that i really was like you know just appreciative of i really love queens live there living there for so long i just love the the variation of the culture you know um so i was trying to pull from that um i think as far as other comics go probably just inherently pulling you know uh from comics that i you know comic artists that i like or i've been influenced by like you know jeff smith or uh other who did bone or even though you wouldn't see it in the comic maybe certain aspects of that um mm -hmm. coming through somehow you know um I, i'm i'm not really sure if anyone comes to mind right now like i said more films for me in the forefront of the story and the kind of idea um and then i think there's just all kinds of comic book influences that are all over all over me splattered all over me <laughs> So I wanted to ask a, a bit of just about the storyline and what the sort of some of the issues that you were trying to accomplish. And I found this really something relatable because I feel like I grew up with, um, you know, in a situation that felt very similar to what I saw in uh, Maya's Lot. Um, and I thought it was wow. really striking. Yeah, double yay. Yeah, yay. That you were describing this sort of disconnection from the in environment. Um, talking with students saying mm -hmm. like, well, no, I don't live in environment um yeah. what do you mean by the environment that's something far away so could you talk a little mm -hmm. bit more about that as just a concern that you were trying to address here and um just bringing this concept of environmental justice to greater life i guess for these students how, how did you try to sit down and formulate that just in the story itself for everyone well let me start with that charlie okay because that's the mm, mission yeah. of the center for urban environmental reform right our mission is to build a, the next generation of environmental leaders who are focused not so much on trees and bunnies, I'm all in favor of protecting wild spaces, but are focused on the places where people live, 
when, when Charlie and I go into schools, one of the things we do with Maya's Lot is we go into schools and do workshops with kids that can, la that can be like once a week for six to eight weeks. And I'll tell you later on about um, what we do in those workshops. But for now, what I'll say is always we start by asking, do you live in an environment? And there's always at least one kid who says, no, the environment is somewhere else. But then yeah. we start talking about asthma. We start talking about um, pollution and- Noise pollution. Noise pollution, yeah, one of the schools, uh, their environmental villain was noise pollution. I totally want to talk about Sonic Boom in a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> you have read that article, you that, have that chapter that I read. Amazing. Yeah, um, we, you know, part of what we're trying to do is to fundamentally change the environmental movement so that it is about protecting the earth, but also about protecting the people and about making sure that the changes that we make to protect the air and the water and the land protect the most vulnerable. And the most vulnerable tend to be poor and minority communities, especially poor and minority urban communities, so not exclusively. So that was one of our primary goals, was to make environmental protection not be this white middle class elitist issue but an issue of basic humanity about mm -hmm. every single person having the right to breathe clean air the right to drink clean water the right mm -hmm. to have an environment that was safe and wholesome and would support their life rather than undermine their life i just wanted to add something quick to that that's fantastic rebecca i which is also i think there's this weird um stigma sometimes that an activist the term activist has right just like maybe a therapist has like if you say you're going to a therapist oh you're crazy no you're not you know but people think that right there's it's been like stuck on there and i feel like activists sometimes has that and the point i think we also wanted to make is everyone is an activist maya the wonderful thing is you get to see maya coming into her teenhood and her discovering her power just as a person and hum human and her to activate and to to protect her people and her community and that's what an activist is. They're not some demon, they are us. They are each one of us. And there's, it really upsets me when I see activists being, being termed as, as a, some, some terrible thing. No, it's a good thing. It means we're activated and we're looking out and it doesn't have to be some specific look or iconic person or hippie or whatever. It's, it's every single one of us. And this, again, tapped into Brian, like I was telling you, Norma Ray, Aaron Brockovich, Milagro Beanfield and Roar, all normal people who we appreciate, who we can all get behind because they are us and we can feel their pain and we've been there. And that's what we wanted to do. And, and uh, one of the things that Rebecca always talks about doing, which is really neat, is taking the scholarship of these comics, both literally into schools and then also into literary world as well, which is what we were accomplishing, I think, which is exciting. So you were mentioning, you know, the both of you a little bit earlier, um, these workshops that you've gotten to do with Maya's Lot and um, elementary schools and the like. So I wanted to hear a little bit more about the workshop that you all did at PS 85Q in Queens um, and sort of the mm -hmm. experience that you guys had there um, interacting with those students and using Maya's Lot as a teaching tool. So, well, first of all, full, full disclosure, PS 85 was the school that my daughter went to. So we have workshops at a lot of schools, um, but we started at PS85 because I knew teachers there and I knew the principal there. So 
it was easy to have access. Um, we didn't have to navigate some of the bureaucracy that we have to navigate at some of the other schools that we work at. And the, the way the workshops work is we give the teachers the copies of the books. Each kid gets a copy of the book. And you know that in and of itself is like a cool thing for the kids. They get a, a comic book that they get to read in school as part of school, which doesn't happen mm -hmm. so often. And each kid gets a copy of the book and they read it. And then we, I go into the school with my law students. We have a session where we do the common core close text reading stuff that makes this a legitimate school exercise. And we sort of talk about the story itself. And then I always ask them, what do you think happens next? And the students start spinning their own stories about what they think happens after they close the book. What, what does Maya do next? What does Bina do? What does Troop do? And then we have a session uh, with Charlie. And this is a really intense session where we get the whole, whatever grade we're working with, we get the whole grade together. And they, as a group with Charlie, design, they pick an environmental justice issue that they care about, that they want to try to make change on. It's usually something about the school itself, though not always. And then with Charlie, they design a villain, and a cartoon villain that is the personification of that environmental justice issue. What did these kids end up thinking of, and what did their cartoon villain end up being? Oh, God. <laughs> Do you remember, Rebecca? Yeah, well, the, the year that, we're, that I wrote about, um, it was this, this public school happens to be located about 50 feet from an elevated subway train, so it's oh. unbelievably loud. And yeah. the parents had been trying for years to get something done about the fact that there was this noise burden that dramatically affected learning of, of the students. Uh, so the students immediately, when we started talking about environmental justice, said, pointed out the window and said, the subway, the subway, that's our environmental justice mm -hmm. issue. So with Charlie, they designed a noise villain that was the subway. It was called Sonic Boom. And it was... <laughs> um, a cartoon version of the, the subway itself that was so dramatically impacting their ability to learn. Yeah. And, Charlie, how would, you, how would you describe the look of Sonic Boom for us? Well, I don't even know oh how man. to start describing him. You know what's funny is I remember that now and the, the train was even going by during class. Like, and you're like, you'd have to stop and you'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, it was a Sonic Boom. But then, uh, the really fun thing is the kids come up with everything. They come up with the names. And they're just throwing everything at us, you know, and we are just having a big creative brainstorm. Um, I, 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 I'm trying to remember Sonic Boom, uh, Boom right now because we've done so many of you guys. Um, and I've even done some in Colorado. I've done some at a few festivals uh, as workshops. Um, he, I think he had like giant speakers and giant speaker hands or guns or something. Yeah. And um, he was almost robotic. Right? And he's, he's like this robot made of like train cars and speakers, I think. <laughs> yes, train cars and speakers. That was it. Yeah. But yeah. that's part of the genius of how Charlie works with the kids is he has them vote on every aspect of it. So he'll be like, okay, yeah. is this a human? Is this a, a robot? Is this an alien? And then they'll, they'll raise their hands, they'll vote, and then he'll start drawing based on what they. Um, yeah. Picked, and what, then is their, what is their the gender? Thing. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's really neat. And let's talk about their power source. And you know. And we also started doing good too. We started realizing, oh, we can also do good. So maybe this time we'll do a hero. What's a hero? You know, in your of your environment, what would they be protecting? And so we did that too. So we're getting the 
the yin and the yang kind of, uh, you know, chaos and order, you know, kind of thing. So the PS85 students, they go ahead and they identify some sort of environmental justice challenge. They've identified um, a cartoon villain with which to identify that challenge. They think they've mm -hmm. put together a hero. Um, once they've done all that, then Rebecca, what did they go ahead and do practically afterward? Well, we, the, the cool thing that we do with the, what we did with the students at PS85, what we do with the students at every school we go into, is once they've identified an environmental justice issue, first of all, we have them make their own comics. So they have that creative mm -hmm. and artistic outlet, and, uh, and what they make is fabulous. I, I've kept every single yeah. one of them. I love them. Um, and we print them out in all glossy, fancy for them, so they get uh, their own story, which looks, you know, professional and fancy at the end. But we also use it as an opportunity to reinforce civics learning and to engage in activism. So every single student can tell you there are three branches of government. They can tell you what they are. They have absolutely no idea what they do. So what we do is, for example, for the noise issue, we have a strategy session and we say, okay, who could do something about this? And they start sort of speculating wildly about who have, might have some power over some aspect of the problem. And then we pick three or four actors who we think have uh, the ability to make a real change to benefit the, the students. And then they develop a campaign of, well, how are we gonna approach them? What is their power? They do research. What power mm -hmm. does this person actually have? What could we ask them to do? And how could we ask them in a fashion that might prompt them to respond? So they were writing letters to the MTA. We made a film. Uh, we made a short video documenting what the noise burden was, and we sent it to the New York Times, and they wound up doing a big story about it. They contacted their elected officials who held press conferences outside the school that were interrupted every 20 seconds by the trains to make real the, the problem, and, and they got results. Um, you know, the subway wasn't going to move, the school wasn't going to move. We knew that both of those things were true. So we were trying to figure out what can we do to make change within those constraints. And I think that's what the students take from this the most, is they try to figure out where can we make change that will be meaningful, and how do we go about doing that? Who do we need to contact? What kind of coalitions do we need to build? What kind of advocacy do we need to do? What is going to resonate within the discretion of the actor we're trying to to move in some fashion. In closing, I wonder if the two of you could talk about your future plans for this project. Can we mm -hmm. expect more comic books? What, what are you looking to do with uh, this sort of intervention into environmental justice going forward? I'm going to answer that in twofold, and then I'm going to turn it over to Charlie. Um, first... <laughs> One of, the, one of the most important things I think that we have done is we've built an extensive network of partnerships. Yeah. Um, we partner very closely with Mount Sinai's uh, Pediatric Environmental Specialty Unit, with the New York City Department of Health, with the Hall of Science, uh, with Global Kids, which is a student empowerment organization. And we're always looking to expand those partnerships and build you know, the synergies of what we can do together. We, we also work with the Children's Environmental Literacy Foundation. Uh, we've done teacher training. So we're, we're always trying to leverage this into more, into momentum, into reaching more people. 
and I didn't tell you this, Charlie, but yesterday I got mm. emails from two uh, public school teachers, one in LA and one here in Queens, both of whom oh, nice. wanted to use Maya's lot and were asking both for permission, which awesome. is you know, a given, and yeah. um, for some suggestions about how they, they might use it. And um, we're in the early stages of the next story. So go yeah. for it, Charlie. Talk about what you've done with this. Um, big action blockbuster movie. No, just <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, I think, uh, you know, yeah, we've been taught, we've always, you know, it's called environmental, environmental Justice Chronicles and it all kind of happened organically, right? Like the first issue we did, we thought, I mean, I think we thought, okay, this will be a nice little active thing that we'll be able to use. And then all of a sudden that sprung and got such a good reaction that then it became book two. Now that's gotten such a great reaction. It's just naturally, we did a comic about the Freedom of Information Act, which was really fun. We took the characters because people are really responding to Maya and Bina. And I never anticipated that. And that's so cool. And uh, so then we also just did the census comic about the census, right? Like you count and why you should vote. And, and that was really great. We just did a coloring book off of that for younger kids. And now we're leading into the third chapter, which we think will be about Troop um you know uh and kind of his next phase um and how we can again continue to keep teaching um other aspects of law and environment and the environment to uh to, to kids and even adults whoever whoever can pick it up can kind of you know uh find some nugget or seed of something that maybe they can take away you know so tell them. them what else you've done from this oh well you know that's what's really cool we talked about how like this leads into other things. And so for me, you guys, it's really neat. You know, I was doing my, I was fortunate enough to be doing comics for Disney and Nickelodeon. And through this process with Rebecca, it really has kind of exploded and still allowing me to write and be a creator on my own terms, which is wonderful. And I, I just did a 60, well, it's going to be a 72 page comic with uh, the New York Hall of Science. And it's a mystery with kids and they're, and the neat thing is it's called Transmissions Gone Viral. And initially it was only digital. And then when coronavirus hit, um, wow, did the comic get a resurgent? We got written up in the New York Times and that's gotten a real buzz again. So if anyone's out there and wants to go check it out, it's called Transmissions Gone Viral. And they came back to me and we're going to print, you know, a, a print run of hard comics of that, like a paperback, because it's a little bit bigger. And it's really fun. It's about these kids on this mystery of trying to solve what a virus is. And so that's educational as well. So it's neat because I'm getting to do all these neat things and and, you know, we'll be working on a third one with Rebecca. I'm hoping to do something with the New York um, Health Department, Department of Health. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene has approached yes. us about using Maya and Bina as um, the avatars to help explain their digital portal and how to yeah. access the information that they collect and collate about health in New York City. So that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. It just keeps leading to more and more stuff. And it's really kind of cool how you create something and maybe you think it's just this one little thing. And then I'm creating other stuff over here. And meanwhile, it keeps growing like a plant, you know, like Maya, you know, Venus plant just keeps growing. Every time I look, there's a new piece of fruit on it, you know? And the best thing of all, honestly, is how much it's changed me as a person, how much it's connected me with other people and the environment, how much it's taught me and influenced my decisions, you know, of, of my daily life keeps changing and adjusting and, and um, as does my art, you know? Um, and so that's been a really cool process. So I think to answer your question of what's next is, I think we all keep evolving. That's what's next. And hopefully we all keep evolving together and 
and trying to get through this, this pandemic together and creating things that will help all of us during this time, you know? So, and, and our country, you know? And and I just want to emphasize that that works both ways, right? It has changed me profoundly Mm -hmm. as well in terms of how I think about scholarship. And I now, I still write law review articles. I enjoy doing that, but I never write a law review article anymore without thinking about how to take it out of the rarefied discourse of legal scholars into the the wider world. And I also think much more about more, less traditional um, ways of getting the message across. I mean, I think the, the census comic book and coloring book are the best example of that. We're super concerned about, we were super concerned before coronavirus about having a good census. Uh, The administration has done as much as they can to depress census participation. And so we wrote um, our census comic to try to break through some of that and to answer misconceptions about the census and to emphasize just how important it is and why the census is a social justice issue, an environmental justice issue. And yeah. one of our partners, Global Kids, which was distributing the comic book, asked us, hey, have you thought about a comic book? I mean, sorry, have you thought about a coloring book? And we said, right. we are now. <laughs> and we wound up making a, a, a coloring book, which I think is really cool. And I would encourage everybody, download it, use it, color it, send us your colored yeah. pages. We'd love to see them. And uh, make sure you respond to the census. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Rebecca and Charlie, for coming on the show. It was a real pleasure talking to you. And Mabel and I both really enjoyed all the comic books. Ah, thank you, guys. Thank you. That means a lot. And thanks for taking the time and, you know, talking to us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
that adjacent speedy, bashful shadow and pokey. I like to slow it down and spin it joking and hokey. Day, if just today could be a slightly crazy lazy, no racing and no chasing. I know it sounds amazing to hear your Pac-Man say that I'd love to play on this slightly crazy lazy day.